0: audio ground school podcast. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Nick Smith. I am the host of the audio ground school podcast, founder and creator of part-time pilot. And this is the podcast where you get free ground school. We just read off part-time pilot online ground school. We have a first segment here is going to be reading off some reviews that we got and this is on trustpilot.com if you want to leave us a review of the podcast it's really 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 helpful on spotify i believe you can give star reviews can't leave words i don't think yet please correct me if i'm wrong but on apple Podcasts, you can and if you leave a review i will read it off here on the podcast also if you don't listen to the podcast on either of those you can leave the review at trustpilot.com just search for part-time pilot or you can go – another way you can support us is by subscribing on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or on YouTube. You can listen to all of these on YouTube as well, and you can subscribe on YouTube. It really, really helps us out. So thank you, guys. So I have a couple of reviews I want to read. This one's from Corinne, five stars. I love part-time pilot. Part-time pilot is absolutely amazing. Being only 15 years old and just starting out on my pilot journey, the online ground school has helped me so much to break down what I thought was so complicated. They have an awesome team of people who care deeply about your passion and respond quickly. Any questions you may have, which I highly appreciate. I see a bright future ahead of me because of part-time pilot. Ah, oh, Corinne, thank you so much. And that is so awesome. Only 15 years old, getting into aviation and becoming a pilot. Good on you, Corinne. Congrats. And I'm so happy that you're liking part-time pilots. So thank you guys. All right. The next one is Sean T five stars. This is the best flight school out there. Change my mind. <laughs> it's kind of like the, those memes, the desk, there's the desk, like some guy sitting at a desk out, or like a table, one of those pop-up tables outside of like a school or something. And he's got a sign on there and he's sipping coffee in it. The meme changes to whatever it is. Like I just saw one with a cat and it's the cat sitting behind the table and it says, I'm allowed to be on the counter, change my mind. So it's just like funny things like that. That's pretty funny, Sean. I like that. The best flight school out there, change my mind. What are you looking for in a ground school? Practice tests, in-depth knowledge, Passed in the course, super fast response times, peer support, personal replies, ongoing education, scholarships, active online presence, single point of contact, free knowledge, support from other communities—it's all here and more. Sean, that's a fantastic review. I loved it. It was funny and it got everything right. So thank you, Sean. Really, really appreciated that. That again, this podcast is just an extension of that Crown School and. If you want to listen to this podcast without hearing me read the reviews, just want to hear the lessons and you want them as soon as I record them, you don't want to wait for one lesson a week. And if you want some bonus episodes, like one we did a few weeks ago where I went over the new questions we're seeing on the FA written exam, if you want bonus episodes like that or more examples on cross-country planning and things like that, different bonus episodes, then you need to go to the online ground school. It's all in the online ground school. I do this full time. Some podcasts, you know, they have a Patreon membership or they just do an Apple podcast subscription membership. It's all free. The only thing, if you want to listen to this free, you just got to listen to me talk about my ground school. That's it. So it's a give, give, but I'm going to keep this free. Again, like you said, if you want the bonuses, you want the ad free stuff, all that, you want the lessons, the videos, the visual aids, the quizzes, the practice tests, all the bonuses and stuff like that, then check out the online ground school, parttimepilot.com. So let's get to our next segment. And this one is where I do a question that we've gotten on the Facebook study group. One of the reviewers mentioned it. I think they both mentioned that how good we are at answering questions. And I really pride myself. One of the issues I had with flight training was finding answers, right? I took an in-person ground school and immediately after the lesson, the person who was teaching the ground school had to go off for a flight or had to go off somewhere else. They weren't available for questions. On top of that, so I had to look for this stuff myself and I had to just look and I would find different answers and piecemeal the stuff from reading the FAR, finding you know pilot forums, all this stuff. And then when I started thinking about making my own ground school, I saw the same thing in other ground schools that, yeah, they say they have 24-7 support, but not always quick responses, in-depth answers, you know, making sure that I finally understood it. They might send me a copy and paste answer. And then after that, what if I didn't respond? There was no follow-up or anything like that. Now, I'm not speaking to all ground schools out there, but the majority of them. That's why I really pride myself on, you know, we have the Facebook study group. So those on Facebook, they can not only... Every single question that's asked on here, we will answer ourselves and we'll make sure that the question is answered. We might miss a couple, so just remind us because there is a lot of activity on here now. If we do miss, we didn't mean to, we're going to get in there. So just let us know if we did miss it. We also reply to Facebook messages, Instagram messages, and if you don't have any of that social media stuff, team at parttimepilot.com, just send us an email. We will answer in depth. We'll even you know, take pictures of visual aids, we'll make quick videos, whatever it is you need, we'll answer fast and we will answer in depth until you understand. So that's what I just, that was kind of an aside, but the, the Facebook study group is where I'm getting this question from. And it's great as well, because not only will you get an answer from us, but you'll also get answers from other student pilots, current pilots, and even other flight instructors. You get a lot of perspective of answers. So I'm only one person. I can only explain it in one certain way I might try a different a different way if it's not clicking for you but some people they might add a tidbit here and there that might make it click for you So that's really powerful the study group atmosphere and studies have even showed that you know when you're in a group and you're all learning the same thing you you learn way way better so the reason I am mentioning all this is go check out online ground school study group for part-time pilot so just type in part-time pilot on the ground school study group in the group section of Facebook and join us there It'll be a lot of fun and a lot of helpful information. So that's where I'm getting this question from. This one's from Lydia. A couple questions and they're involved with, so the one I want to talk about here is the one, how many holes does a pedostatic probe have? It's kind of tricky question, but it's getting to the point at the difference between a pedo probe and a pedostatic probe and understanding the mechanics of these probes. Okay, so a pedo probe gets pedo pressure. Pedo pressure, also referred to as ram pressure. So that is needed for the airspeed indicator. The airspeed indicator takes static pressure and pedo or ram pressure finds the difference, and that's called the dynamic pressure, and then it converts that dynamic pressure into an airspeed. So that difference between static pressure, just air just standing still, and then that ram pressure, that air going into the pedo probe because of your movement through the air, that is... Sorry about that That little sound there. Is my speaker turning off. Anyways, that difference between, you know, the pressure created by your aircraft moving through and the static pressure is how we get airspeed calculation, right? So when it's just a pitot probe, it's just getting that pitot pressure. But a pitot probe also has another hole on the back of it, for a drain. It has to drain this pressure out or it'll continue to just build up as you fly through the air. That pressure will just continuously build up if you did not have that drain hole. The reason I have this question in here is I was actually asked this on my checkride. So I was asked, like, how many holes and what does this hole mean? I really tried to pick at how my understanding was of these probes on our aircraft. So this is why we have this question in here. So on a pitot probe, you're just going to have two holes. You're going to have the one that's in the free stream air, right? The pitot, it gets the pitot pressure. And then you're going to have on the back a drain hole. On a pitot static probe, so aircraft that just have a pitot probe, they take that pressure from the pitot probe. And then they also have static sources elsewhere on the aircraft. And then they feed that into the airspeed indicator or whatever computing unit that they have. And they find the difference and compute the airspeed. That's if it's a pitot probe, it just has the two holes, the pitot air, ram pressure, and the drain. If it's a pitot static probe, that means it also has holes that collect static pressure. And these are on the side, so the probe that sticks into the free air, free stream air, it sticks forward to the aircraft. That front-facing hole is the one for pitot pressure and ram air. On the sides, right, where you're not feeling the impact of the aircraft moving through the air, that's where it collects static pressure on the sides. And sometimes these static probes can have a static port on the top and a static port on the bottom. Sometimes they can also just have one static hole. It's good to know this, and your examiner might ask you about this because if there's icing, right? If you get icing just on the side of your probe, they might, that's kind of like a situational-based question you might get on your checkride, right? If you have icing on the side of your probe, but not on the front, Can it still be affected? Obviously, you know, pedo heat would would melt all this ice off, but they may still ask you something like this. And you say, yeah, I could if it's still covering up. If I have a pedo static probe and the static, depending on where the static holes are, if they're covered in ice, right, because they're on the side of the probe at the top and bottom, or just maybe there's just one, you gotta know your probe, (laughs) know your probe, and make some t shirts. Anyways, because it's a pedo probe as well also going to have that drain. So a pedostatic probe can have the pedo hole, the drain hole, a static hole, or two static holes. So it could have three or four holes. So I just wanted to explain what those holes are. Yeah, I just want to explain that, why that question's in there, where you might need to know that information, like on a ride and why you really got to understand all the systems that you're using on your aircraft. It's going to make you a better pilot. It's going to prepare you for that check ride. All right. That said, let's get on to today's lesson. Okay, if you're following along in the online ground school, which again, I highly recommend you do, because really when you're able to read it, you're able to see all these visuals, then you're able to listen to it, watch the video, again, more visuals, and then take the quiz, really going to be your best chance at comprehending it all. I like to tell students, you know, at night, you know, read the lesson, take the quiz or whatever. And then the next morning, listen to the audio lesson, and then maybe take the quiz again. And then boom, you'll be good to go on that lesson. Move on to the next one. So if you're following along again, it's in the course title. So go to my courses in your dashboard. Step one, online ground school, private pilot lessons. This is the step with all the lessons, all the audio lessons, all the written lessons, all the videos, all the quizzes. And then after that, step two, we do practice tests and give you a custom report and help you get your endorsement. Anyways. so. In that course, we're on Section 12 on Cross-Country Planning, and in this episode, we're on Lesson 15, Fuel Consumption and Planning. So I've been doing this every episode of the Cross-Country episodes, is I'm going to review where we're at in our NAVLOG. So we started, we picked our checkpoints, we measured the distances to each checkpoint, we measured the true courses to each checkpoint, then we found the variation, the magnetic variation on our course to use that to go from true course to magnetic course. Then we gathered all our winds and temperatures for all our phases of flight. Once we had that, we could calculate climb performance and cruise performance and descent performance, tell us how long the distances and even the fuel it takes to climb. And that's actually, we're going to go back. If you remember during that episode, I had to write down the fuel for that climb because that's, in my eyes, that's the most accurate way to calculate fuel for climb. So that's how I do it. And so already for this episode here, we already have the fuel we're going to consume for climb phase of flight because we we already did that performance calculation way before. Then once we did that, we were able to come up with a true airspeed for all phases of flight. And then with that, we were able to calculate ground speed and magnetic heading. And then in the last episode, we took our ground speed and our distances and we came up with our time and route. And now with our time and route for all the other phases of flight that are not climb for cruise and descent, we can take that time and then apply a fuel consumption rate to come up with the fuel. So that's where we're at. And that's what we're doing here in Lesson 15. So let's get to it. So you're almost done with your cross-country plan. You have the distances it takes to get to your destination. You have the time it takes to get to your destination. And you have the fuel. Oh, yeah, the fuel. What is all this good for if we don't plan to have enough fuel? And if you can remember, way back when, at the beginning of this cross-country, towards the beginning, I did an episode on estimating the fuel we're going to need. Okay. And the reason I did that is because I didn't want you guys to go through all this work only to get to one of the last steps here, determine your fuel consumption, only to now find out that you don't have enough fuel capacity in your fuel tanks to get you to where you're going to need to go. So now if that happened, you're going to have to be crap, I have to stop halfway through, you know, or some way along my route and get fuel. So now you have a new checkpoints, new descent phase, new climb phase, new airports you gotta deal with. It's fine if you need to do that, but we don't want to know now. We wanted to know a long time ago so we could plan that into our flight since the beginning, or else we're gonna have to redo over half our plan. And this is a lot of work. That's why I had you estimated at the beginning, and then now we can come up with an actual accurate calculation. And also if you remembered, and I mentioned this a little bit ago, we already have the values for climb. We used our climb performance chart that gives us fuel, time, and distance to climb, we marked down the fuel for our climb checkpoints, and bam, we're done. We're already done with climb. I think that's the most accurate way to do a climb. Other people, they take a fuel consumption rate and they add a a percentage to that because in climb you usually use more because your aircraft is working harder. It depends on you. It depends on your aircraft. You know, if the aircraft POH has a good value for climb for you, then I would use that, but it really just depends on you and your preferences. But I like to use for the Cherokee Warriors that I fly, I like to use the fuel time and distance to climb chart to get fuel for climb. And then for cruise and descent, that's what I'm going to explain how to do here. So to calculate our cruise and descent fuel consumption, we need a fuel consumption rate, like gallons per hour. So a rate is an amount or quantity per time. So gallons is the amount, and per hour is the time, right? And ground speed is another rate. It's distance per time. So fuel consumption rate, gallons per hour. And we can get this information for a Cherokee Warrior aircraft from the same chart we use for our cruise performance. And that's what we use for, remember, we use that cruise performance chart to calculate our true airspeed in cruise. For a Cessna or other aircraft, the information will be in data tables or charts in your POH. The data will relate a power setting or RPM to a fuel consumption rate. We just need that fuel consumption rate. So whatever aircraft you have, your POH is going to have the answer. You just got to find it. And now there's one last thing we got to know. For Cherokee Warrior, there is two charts. For a Cessna or other aircraft, they might break it down differently. But we want to make sure that this is for either best power, assuming that we're flying best power, or assuming that we're flying best economy. Again, a reminder, best economy is where we change the mixture setting to be optimal throughout our flight at different altitudes. When the air changes, we we change the amount of fuel in our mixture to optimize that mixture ratio. This gets us to where we're going slower, but it saves more fuel, right? So now one tip I have can save you a little money in flight training. Most flight schools, their rental rate of their aircraft includes fuel. It's called a wet rental rate. And so you don't have to pay for fuel. So if you're already paying for fuel, it's included in your rental rate like that, then always fly best power. Just, you know, sort of go <laughs> pedal to the metal because you care about time more. You you want to get to, let's say you have to go fly out to a practice area to practice maneuvers with your flight. Instructor. You want to get there quicker, right? So you want to fly best power. You don't want to worry about saving fuel in that case. If it was your own aircraft or if you do have to pay for fuel, then maybe you want to worry about saving some money and, and saving fuel by flying best economy. But whichever one you do, There's going to be a set of fuel consumption rates for that that relate to a power setting or RPM. Again, I fly best power. I don't worry about the best economy, so I fly best power because of the rental rates I use for the aircraft include that. So I'm going to use the best power cruise performance chart. And on that, we have a picture of this in the online ground school. It has fuel consumption for 55% power setting, 65% power setting, and 75% power setting. Now, if you remember, when we came up with our true airspeed using these charts, we also you know, we had an RPM and it gave us a power setting. So we know this power setting already in our nav log. So you should know either the RPM or the power setting you're gonna fly at and cruise and descent. So we can use this table of values, let's say our Right, so it says if you're looking here in the online ground school for 75% power setting, it's 10 gallons per hour. For 65%, it's 8.8 gallons per hour. For 55%, it's 7.8 gallons per hour. So far as was 65%, then we're going to use 8.8 gallons per hour for the phases of flight where we're flying at 65% best power. Okay, and if it's you know 60%, then we just interpolate a little bit, right? So 60% would be between 65 and 55%. That's right in the middle of 8.8 and 7.8 gallons per hour. So split the difference, and then you get 8.3 gallons per hour. So you're just going to use this chart, maybe do a simple interpolation to get the information, the fuel consumption rate that you need. And again, Cessna or other aircraft is going to be very similar. It's going to have a table or chart or something like this. So using our Highest previously calculated power setting for each checkpoint. So now I say highest because, again, we're going to be conservative. We always want to estimate that we're burning more fuel. We always want to be conservative when it comes to fuel calculations, right? We can estimate a fuel consumption for each leg of our flight. When doing this, always, again, always round up your fuel consumption because it's always better to plan for more. So if we get like 8 point or if we get like 1.24 gallons, just make that 1.3 gallons. Or if you get like 2.9 gallons, just call that 3 gallons, right? We don't need to be super precise and so just round up a little bit, don't round down because again, we want to be conservative when it comes to fuel. There are also some additional areas you must plan for fuel consumption, which I detail in the following steps for your complete fuel calculations. So add each climb checkpoint's fuel to get your total fuel consumption during climb in gallon. We've already calculated our fuel during climb using, the again, the fuel climb distance to climb chart. Back when we found the distance to climb, we also at the same time unknowingly got the fuel to climb. All right. So record this in your total fuel climb box on your nav log. So on the nav logs, we have to download. There's a little at the bottom, there's a little fuel kind of planner. There's a the fuel you'll need for climb. All these, you can just fill them in. So add in the all your fuel for your climb phases, and that'll give you a total for climb. And then with the fuel consumption rates, you just estimated for each checkpoint during cruise and descent, calculate the fuel consumed using the following. So now we're on for cruise and descent. And to do that, Fuel consumed in gallons is just the fuel consumption rate times time. So again, just like we did with the ground speed equation, we just changed around this rate equation to solve for fuel. So that's just like we're solving for distance in our ground speed equation, but now we're solving for, so fuel consumption rate is gallons over time, right? Gallons per hour. So gallons divided by hours or fuel divided by time. So we multiply time to both sides we solve for gallons. We get gallons equals fuel consumption rate times time. So, again, this is another thing where I just write these equations down in my knee board so I remember them, and if this simple algebra stresses you out, just write them down and remember the equations. So, we're gonna add each checkpoint's fuel consumed and record the value in the total fuel in the cruise and descent box of your cross-country planner, navlog. So, for example, if we use a fuel consumption rate of 10 gallons per hour, and our time in route was 15 minutes. We want to first convert that 15 minutes to hours because our fuel consumption rate is gallons per hour and we always want our units to match. To convert minutes to hours, we just divide by 60. So 15 minutes divided by 60 is going to be 0.25 hours. So 0.25 hours times 10 gallons per hour. That would give us two and a half gallons. So that's an example right there. So we're going to do that for each checkpoint, right? Each checkpoint, we're going to have a fuel consumption rate, which we determined, right? Based off our power setting, that's going to be in gallons per hour, power setting or RPM. And we're going to get that information from our POH. So for each checkpoint, we're going to have a fuel consumption rate and we're going to have a time. So we just convert that time to hours and we multiply it by that fuel consumption rate and we get the fuel consumed for that checkpoint. So we do this for each checkpoint. Then we're going to find our taxi and run up fuel consumption inside the Again, the, your, your POH or approved flight manual for your aircraft. You may have to do some digging, and the value may be found in terms of a weight in the weight and balance section. That's how it is for the Cherokee Warrior. So it might say, for example, fuel allowance during engine start, taxi, and run-up. And it might say, like, seven pounds. So that's what my Cherokee Warrior does. It says, like, allows for the weight you're going to burn and fuel during taxi so that you can have an like accurate final takeoff weight, right? So it says you burn seven pounds during taxi and run up, seven pounds of fuel. And we know that six fuel weighs six pounds per gallon. So if we just divide seven divided by six pounds per gallon, seven pounds divided by six pounds per gallons, we get 1.2 gallons. So that's how you do it with a Cherokee warrior, at least the ones that I have with a Cessna or other aircraft, I know they might just tell you how many gallons to to assume, they might tell you weight as well. A lot of pilots I know just use a conservative value of two gallons for the engine start, taxi, and run-up. Again, it depends on your aircraft. So really look in that POH AFM. If you use this value for your cross-country plane on your check ride, your examiner can ask you where you got that value. So make sure you have a good answer. All right, so we're gonna mark that how much fuel we're gonna burn during taxi. Cause again, two gallons is that adds up right if you have a long run-up time or it's really busy aircraft and you're out there for a while with the engine running you could definitely burn two gallons of fuel so we want to account for that so we're going to record that so now we have the fuel for climb that we got back using fuel time distance to climb chart then we calculated all our cruise and descent using our fuel consumption rates and then now we have our taxi and then now what i do is i add a certain amount of fuel for approach and landing this might be something your examiner might ask you on your checkride like, okay, so you what happens if you, you know, the airport you get to is really busy or there's something on the runway. Do you have, you know, fuel accounted for for those situations? What I do is I calculate, I add a certain amount of time for approach and landing. So we're assuming that we get to our destination airport and land instantly if we don't do this. And this is normally not the case. So I conservatively estimate that the approach and landing will take me an extra 20 minutes. This may seem like a lot, but at a busy airport, all it takes is the tower to ask you to loiter in a couple 360s, and then you need to perform a go-around in your first landing attempt or do a full traffic pattern, and that could easily be 20 minutes. So always best, again, to be conservative. So 20 minutes is 0.33 hours, right? So 20 divided by 60 is 0.33. And if we assume the cruise fuel consumption rate of, like before in the example, we said Uh, When we calculated cruise and descent fuel use, we use a 10 gallon per hour consumption rate. So if we assume this again, right, because we're assuming we're either in cruise or descent during this landing phase. So 10 gallons per hour times 0.33, that's going to be an extra 3.3 gallons that we want to account for. Finally, we want to calculate your reserve fuel consumption based off your personal minimum for reserve fuel. The FAA minimum for reserve fuel is 30 minutes of cruise flight during the day and 45 minutes of cruise flight during the night. For me, my personal minimum are double the FAA minimums. So again, I'm really, I just never want to run out of fuel. You'll find me doing this a lot with things, not just fuel. I never want to run in the situations that are under my control. There are too many general aviation accidents out there. I want to do everything in my power to control and minimize air. So one of the common errors is people running out of fuel. I don't want to do that ever. So my personal minimums are double the FAA minimum. So one hour during the day and one and a half hours during the night. So you can choose whatever you want, but it at least has to be the FAA minimums of 30 minutes during the day of cruise flight and 45 minutes cruise flight during the night. So to calculate the value of fuel consumption rate during your cruise, sorry, to calculate this, again, we're going to use that fuel consumption rate we used during cruise because, again, the FAA requirement is of cruise flight. So, again, if we use 10 gallons per hour as our fuel consumption rate in cruise, We're going to use that again here. And so my personal minimum, if I'm flying in the day, is one hour. So one hour of cruise at 10 gallons per hour is 1 times 10 or 10 gallons. So I need 10 extra gallons of reserve fuel for my personal minimum. For the FAA, personal minimums, that would just be half an hour, right? Half an hour times 10 gallons per hour would just be five gallons, okay? Still considerable amount of gallons, right? So again, you gotta put this into your navlog as another fuel that you need to plan for. Now you're gonna add up your fuel needed for taxi, run up, climb, cruise, descent, and reserve to get the total fuel needed for your cross-country trip. Now that you know how much fuel you'll need for your complete flight, compare this total fuel needed versus the maximum capacity of usable fuel for your aircraft. If you do not have enough capacity in your fuel tanks to carry this much fuel, you'll have to plan a fuel stop before your final destination. You'll have to add a diversion to an airport at some point in your route, and this will cause you to redo some of the calculations. Again, this can be very frustrating and is the exact reason why we want to estimate our fuel usage before we make all our calculations, which we did in a previous episode. So you don't want to find out now that you don't have enough fuel. You want to do that ahead of time. All right, so let's do an example. Again, the calculation of fuel could be done differently depending on the stage of flight or the aircraft you're in. Again, I do it differently for climb than I do for cruise and descent. I lump cruise and descent as the same. The reason I do that is because for a Piper Cherokee Warrior that I fly, they give me a climb performance chart. Okay. So if the POH gives it to me, I'm going to use it unless I have a better reason. So they give me the climb performance chart. So I'm going to use that to determine my fuel consumption in climb. For cruise, I'm going to use right the fuel consumption rates that they give me and then for descent i could use the descent performance chart to come up with the fuel burn during descent or i could use a more conservative way of doing using the cruise fuel consumption rate and that's i just to make one to make it easier and to make it more conservative which again we always want with cruise or with fuel i lump cruise and descent so i do that the same way i just use a fuel consumption rate for those so again No matter how you want to do this, just make sure you have a good explanation that makes sense and is safe for your examiner on like a checkride or whatever. So again, just to break down, we need our engine start taxi and run up. We can find that in a POH or we can use like a conservative number of like two gallons as again, as long as it's conservative and matches with what the POH AFM has climb. If you're going to do climb the way I do it, then you're going to use that fuel time and distance climb chart. If you do it that way, we've already done this. We already used that chart and already gathered these values. Cruise and descent. Again, if you do it my way, you're going to lump these in the same. You're going to get a fuel consumption rate from your POH, and you're going to use that in time to come up with fuel consumed. Then approach and landing. Again, I estimate 20 minutes or a third of an hour. For this time, you can maybe do a little bit less, probably be okay. And then reserve. FAA requires 30 minutes in the day. Cruise flight, 45 minutes a night. Cruise flight, of reserves. I double this for my personal minimums. Again, whatever you use, just be able, make sure you'll be able to explain it to an examiner. So let's assume the following checkpoint information during cruise and descent for our example. Assume that we already have the values for climb, whether you want to use a fuel consumption rate or the fuel time distance to climb chart. So checkpoint four, checkpoint five, checkpoint six are all cruise flight at an altitude to 8,500. Checkpoint four takes 11 minutes to get to, Checkpoint five takes seven minutes to get to. Checkpoint six takes nine minutes to get to. And then they all are at a target RPM of 2,500 and 66% power setting. Again, we found this from our cruise power performance charts. Again, we said we had an altitude of 8,500. We said we want to target 2,500. That gave us at that altitude 66% engine power setting in our POH. Again, that's for a Piper Cherokee Warrior. So we have that value. So now the only thing that changes for each checkpoint is the time it takes to get to each checkpoint, right? Now, checkpoint seven, we start to descend. So what I do is I use an altitude in the middle of our descent. So if at checkpoint seven, we start to descend and at checkpoint eight, we end our descent. Let's say at checkpoint seven, we start to descend at 8,500 and at checkpoint eight, we end at like, you know, 5,500. I will use a altitude in the middle to calculate these. So at checkpoint 7, I'll use an altitude of 6,700, time to checkpoint of 8 minutes. I'm assuming that we're keeping an RPM of 2,500, and we're just pitching down, increasing our airspeed. You know, probably you're going to reduce your RPM, but for the sake of this, I'm just going to leave it the same for the sake of this example. But because our altitude changes, that's going to change our engine power setting at 2,500. Again, according to that cruise performance chart. So... We have a 68% engine power setting here for checkpoint eight. We're now down to altitude of 4,300 took us five minutes to get there and our engine power setting changed to 70%. And then checkpoint nine altitude of 1700 feet, took us six minutes to get there. engine power setting of 72% at that lower altitude. So again, we're being conservative. So I look at the highest engine power setting in all these situations which is the last one at 72%, and that's what I'm going to use to come up with my fuel consumption rate. Again, being conservative. So from our POH AFM, we'll find some sort of table or information. Again, it has to match whether you're going to be best power or best economy. I fly best power, again, because I mentioned that I'm not worried about saving fuel. I'm more worried about my time. So you're going to look for that best power fuel consumption data. You're going to match the 72%. 72% 72% engine power setting and see what fuel consumption rate that has. For this example, in the Cherokee Warrior, they give it a 75% of 10 gallons per hour or 65% at 8.8 gallons per hour. Since our value is 72%, we can interpolate. Now, we don't have to get out the interpolation equation and do like a whole nifty difty interpolation. We can kind of just use our heads and do a quick linear interpolation, right? So 72%, Is between 65 and 75. It's seven away from 65, and 75 is ten away from 65. So it's seven tenths of the way from 65 to 75. So 70 percent of the way, right? Seven tenths. So it changed 1.2 gallons per hour from 65 percent. It's at 8.8 gallons per hour. 75 percent. It's at 10 gallons per hour. So that's 1.2. So 70 percent of 1.2. If we just do 1.2 times 0.7 is 0.84. Say okay. At 72%, it's 0.84 more than what it is at 65%. This makes more sense when, when you look at it written down. But what it is at 65% is 8.8 gallons per hour. So if we add 0.8 to that, that gives us 9 point, 9.65. Again, 9.64, 9.65. Again, if we round up, that's going to give us 9.7. So that's what I'm going to use 9.7 gallons per hour for that 72%. I'm going to do that for all checkpoints because, you know, I'm being conservative. So I'm just going to use the highest value for all cruising descents so now we just need to calculate fuel use using this fuel consumption rate and again fuel consumption rate times time gives us the fuel used. our fuel consumption rate is in gallons per hour we said we're gonna use 9.7 gallons per hour so we just need to make sure our time is in hours as well so each time value that I told you was in minutes so we just gotta divide each one of those by 60 60 minutes to get it in an hour so Checkpoint 4, time to checkpoint, 11 minutes, fuel consumption rate, 9.7. It's going to be 9.7 gallons per hour for all these. So fuel used to get to checkpoint 4 is 9.7 times 11 divided by 60, right, to convert the minutes to hours. So 11 divided by 60, that gives us time in hours, times that by 9.7 gallons per hour, gives us 1.8 gallons. Checkpoint 5, it was 7 minutes and a fuel consumption rate of 9.7 gallons per hour. 9.7 9.7 times 7 divided by 60, again, com- that 60 because we're converting to hours, is 1.1 gallons. Checkpoint 6, 9 minutes to get there. Again, same fuel consumption rate, 9.7. 9.7 times 9 divided by 60 to convert to, m- to hours gives us 1.5 gallons. Checkpoint 7 was 8 minutes. So 9.7 times 8 divided by 60 gives us 1.3 gallons. Checkpoint 8, 5 minutes. So that gives us 0. 0.8 gallons. Checkpoint nine, six minutes, that gives us one gallon. Now we just add all these up, so we add up 1.8 plus 1.1 plus 1.5 plus 1.3 plus 0.8 plus one, gives us 7.5 gallons for all our cruise and descent. Finally, if we assume we calculated 5.5 gallons to be burnt during our climb, let's say that's what we got from our fuel climb distance to climb chart, fuel time distance to climb chart, for each checkpoint with 5.5 gallons in climb, we can find and sum up values Of fuel used for all flights to get a total fuel used value. So that 5.5 plus that 7.5 is gonna give us 13 gallons. That's for climb, cruise, and descent. Then we say, okay, well, I wanna have like 20 minutes, right, for approach and landing in case they make me stay in the pattern for a little bit or circle and wait. I expect it to be busy. I'm gonna add 20 minutes. So that's a third of an hour. If we do that times our 9.7 9.7 gallons per hour, that's gonna be about 3.3 gallons. So that's another 3.3 gallons that we add to our total. And then using the same fuel consumption rate of 9.7 gallons per hour again, and our reserve fuel time, again, depending on day or night and what your personal minimums are, we can calculate the reserve fuel we'll need, again, using my personal minimums of an hour during the day and an hour and a half at night. If we assume it's a day flight, in my personal minimums, and one time 9.7 is 9.7 gallons of reserve fuel. So now we have engine start, taxi and run up of two gallons. We have climb of 5.5 gallons, cruise and descent of 7.5 gallons, approach and landing of 3.2 gallons, reserve of 9.7 gallons. So we do two plus 5.5 plus 7.5 plus 3.2 plus 9.7 equals 28 gallons. We'll need a Piper Cherokee holds A Cherokee Warrior holds 48 gallons of usable fuel, so we'll have plenty of fuel for this flight. A little bit of a shorter flight, but plenty of fuel. Won't need to make a fuel stop or anything like that. And that is how you come up with fuel. Now, we have a video that I'll put in the show notes of how I did this all with a Piper Cherokee Warrior. And yeah, so thank you guys for listening. That wraps up this episode and lesson. Next week, we're going to do Lesson 16. It's our last episode on cross-country planning, and it's going to be on takeoff and landing performances. So we're going to use takeoff and landing performance charts to find out, depending on the weather conditions, how long it'll take us to take off on the ground, how long it'll take us to land, if there's any obstacles by the runway, what our winds are for the runways, calculating crosswinds, all that stuff which is what you got to know for you know when you go to a new airport so that is what we're going to get into next episode and until then safe flights study hard and thanks again for listening Hey pilots, this is Nick. Now, if you've been listening to the podcast, you may have heard us talking about core aviation headsets and how with the coupon code part-time pilot, you can get 10% off and free shipping. Well, I just wanted to let you know that that got better. You can now get 15% off and free shipping. So an extra 5% off on core aviation headsets. These are a fantastic beginner headset. Now I say beginner just because they are at a beginner price. You know, when we're starting off with flight training, we want to keep all our funds for flight training because it is so expensive. And this gives us that affordable option to do that. But then it's not exactly a beginner headset because I have still had my core aviation headsets that I got way back when, when I was student pilot. It's almost five years ago. It's still working great and I've had zero problems with it. So with that 15% off now, use coupon code part-time pilot. I'll put a link in the show notes, but with that, you get 50% off, you get free shipping, you can get your very own headset for I think less than $100 still. So and or you can get their more advanced headset for less than $200. That is a steal. And it is way better than sharing those sweaty old headsets that have issues and connection issues at your flight school. So go ahead and check out core aviation headsets and use code part time pilot. Hey, pilots, this is Nick again. Did you guys know that Part-Time Pilot now has a private pilot test prep book that you can buy on Amazon? It's a physical book that you can buy on Amazon to help prep for your FAA written exam. So it's like the other test prep books out there, you know, the Jepson, Asa, or the Gleam, Glime, however you pronounce it. It's just like those, but I called ours the ultimate private pilot test prep, because not only does it give you a synopsis of each subject, like the cliff notes, like those other books do, and then it gives you FA written questions to practice and quiz yourself on to, to prep for the test, but it also goes much, much further further and that's why we call it the ultimate private pilot test prep book so for each subject it also has a QR code so that as you're reading it if you want more information you can scan the QR code on your phone or your tablet and it will immediately pull up a YouTube video that you can watch on the subject there's also QR codes in there for additional downloads including FAA PDFs subject area checklists, and more PDFs from us that you can download for free it also includes A coupon code and QR code where you can go enroll in online practice tests for free and receive the PDF version of the book completely free all that is with simple easy to use QR codes inside the book and then we also not only does it have the cliff notes of all the information but it also includes mnemonic devices and visual aids such as diagrams tables and images that are labeled such as like a METAR that is labeled every single thing that is included and deciphered in the METAR or a TAF. Also the performance charts, step-by-step labeled steps on performance calculation charts. So it's not just cliff note bullet points. It's that plus much, much more these visual aids all in 404 pages in the ultimate private pilot test prep book. And it is only $37. So you can go check that out on Amazon. I'll put a link in the show notes. So go check it out. Hey guys, it's Nick. I want to take a second to speak directly to the student pilots out there. You might be a student pilot that is, you know, wondering what to do next, how to get started, or maybe you're looking for the right ground training or flight training, or maybe you've already started ground training or flight training and you're stuck, you're in a rut and you're looking for a change, something to help get you out of that hurdle. From my own experience in flight training, after three years, five instructors and $22,000 and wanting to quit multiple, multiple times, And then now, after seeing hundreds and hundreds of student pilots through part time pilot, I've realized that the number one thing that makes student pilots fail is that they do not have a good fundamental understanding of the ground training when they get to the more advanced flight lessons. Now, who here has seen Top Gun Maverick? Do you remember in the movie when he says, don't think, just do? Now, when I heard this, I was like, oh my goodness, this is brilliant because this is exactly what you have to be as a pilot. Now, of course, it's not that we're not thinking, but it's that we understand things like weather, aerodynamics, what our instruments are telling us, what ATC is telling us. We have such a good core fundamental understanding of these things that we don't have to think about them. And when we don't have to think about them, we can instinctively feel and fly the aircraft, look out for dangers and avoid emergency situations able to solo for the first time fly a plane for the first time everything's great and damn once you get into you know bad weather flying or flying at heavy heavily trafficked airports or speaking with ATC for Bravo clearance or cross-country flight planning and flying solo on a cross-country flight things get a little more advanced and when this happens and you don't have a good understanding of the ground school concepts you're going to hit a wall you're going to start to get behind the aircraft not even miss a beat and be able to pay for flight training without working. So most of us have a full-time job or maybe a part-time job. We have kids, we have family, we have school, we have all these other responsibilities on top of flight training. And most of these flight trainings and ground trainings are not tailored towards you. And So how is it the part-time pilot tailors to the modern day student pilot? Well, the first way we do that is by keeping ground or you can take our quizzes and practice tests to reinforce what you just learned. And then finally, you can join us live weekly for our live Q&A and our live lessons so you can see in real time these things taught out and these examples done in real time. And then finally, you can utilize our group community, to form study groups, get questions answered 24-7, either their FAA written or their FAA checkride. So that is just proof in the pudding right there that our concepts, the way we explain things in plain written English and the way we give you multiple ways to consume this content is working. So if this sounds like something you might be interested and you wanna come join us, we'd love to have you. Just go to www.parttimepilot.com, click on online ground school and we'll see you inside the online ground school. Thanks for listening and I'll see you guys next week.